y'all would get your hand out there, we'll read the first two verses there of Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for another beautiful day of life. Thank you for the rain that we had this evening. And Lord, that you would um, bless our meeting today as we look into your word. And Lord, that you would guard my tongue, forgive the sin in my life so that your word would not be hindered. And Lord, that everything we do and say would bring honor and glory to your kingdom. Father, we thank you always for sending Jesus on the cross for our sins. Jesus, for being the propitiation to take away the wrath that is due our sins, and that your Holy Spirit, and that you would just fellowship with us today, and that everything we do would bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, God. Amen. Today we're going to explore two verses of the Bible, and it's from Matthew chapter 7, and this is part of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. These are two very powerful verses that deal with eternal destiny. There's a little poem at the top there. This is the first stanza from a song by Isaac Watts. And it says, Broad is the road that leads to death, and thousands walk together there. But wisdom shows a narrow path with here and there a traveler. The title for today's message is Christ Jesus is the Straight Gate. And that little poem there by Isaac Watts, it talks about people that are traveling. There's a broad road that's filled with many souls. And then there's a second way, narrow way, and it only has a traveler here and there. And what this is speaking to is that the way of life, there are many people that are on the broad way, and yet there's a second way that's a narrow way, and only a few people ever get on that way. And we're going to explore today how you can get on that way, how you can find that way, and then how you can end that way by going into heaven. Now we'll notice that at the top of the title it says, Christ Jesus is the straight gate. Do you notice how that straight is spelled? It's S-T-R-A-I-T. And that straight means narrow. And that's differing from the other way we typically spell straight, which is S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, which is like a straight line. So Jesus is the straight gate, the narrow gate. When I walked into the door today, that's a very wide gate. Perhaps two, three, maybe even four people could walk through that entryway together. But to go into the narrow gate, the straight gate, only one person can fit at a time. And it's a very tight gate. Think of a turnstile where you go into a high security building, perhaps one of the congressional buildings in D.C., and they have those metal spindles that you walk in and you barely can turn through it. And in fact, you can't bring your backpack. They have a separate conveyor belt that will test your backpack to make sure you Miss Alice, you're not carrying a bomb. 
okay? But that backpack represents the sins in our life. And when we go through that narrow gate into heaven, we can't take a backpack. We can't have our sins with us because God doesn't accept us under our condition. We only can go into heaven under his conditions. And he says, you have to leave your sins here behind you. You have to repent. And let's take a closer look at this now. Matthew 7.13 Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight, narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. So many times in the Bible, we have major ideas, and here's one of them. There are many, and God is using that to show the difference between few. He's not giving a number. He's not saying a thousand, a million, a billion, as opposed to one, two, or three. He's saying, relatively speaking, many will go on the broad way to destruction. And that destruction is hell. And only few will be on the narrow road which goes into heaven. And it's also very interesting, it says, enter you in at the straight gate. Well, when I came through that doorway, that is like a gate. In order to go into heaven, you have to enter into the straight gate. And Jesus is the straight gate. Let's look at the first point here. Jesus is the straight gate and the door into eternal life. John 10.1 Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, the sheepfold being the safe souls, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Two weeks ago, I went with our pastor, Ali, to China. And over there, I was also able to visit with my son, who's a missionary over there. But when I was in Beijing waiting for a flight, a gentleman sat next to me, and we actually had quite a long conversation. He was from the country of Sierra Leone in Africa. And he was a Muslim. And of course, all conversations tend to turn to religion and faith. So we were discussing his faith of Islam and my faith in Jesus Christ. Actually, his Islam is more of a religion. And I, I complimented him on the many great religions of the world. We have Islam. We have Buddhism. We have Catholicism. We have Hinduism. And in those four great religions, literally two-thirds of the world's population is covered. But there's a very big difference between being in a religion and doing works of righteousness and having a true saving faith which only comes through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And as we went through the conversation, this gentleman, he was very complimentary of Jesus. He said, you know, in our religion of Islam, we hold Jesus to be a great prophet. And we always speak highly of Jesus. And we know that he was born of a virgin. 
And then the thought suddenly hit me. I said, you know what you're really doing is you're taking Jesus down. You're not complimenting him. You're really speaking blasphemy. Because my Jesus is God. He's not a great prophet. You've brought God, deity, very deity, down to the level of us as a man. And Jesus is God. And we continued our conversation. And hopefully, some seeds of the word were planted. And someday, his mind and heart will be converted. But this first John 10, 1 says, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. In order to go into heaven, we can't steal God's glory and expect to go into heaven. We have to honor Jesus as God, and we have to come to him by repenting of our sins and asking him to forgive us. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father, no man can go into heaven, but by me. Jesus said, I am the way. That's the path we were talking about. He is the way. And he is the truth. God is true and all men are liars. Only God is true. So only Jesus can offer the truth. And he preached the gospel of repentance many, many times. John 10, 9. Again, Jesus speaking. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. This verse is not talking about going in and out of salvation. It's not talking about being saved and then losing your salvation and then being saved again. Rather, what this is speaking of is many times we are on the hill, we're on the mountaintop, and we're enjoying the fellowship with the Lord. But we have to go into the world. We go in and out of fellowship. Many of us have jobs to do. <clears throat> Some of us have families that need to be taken care of. Thank you for that water. It's a blessing. And many of us have many things that take away our time during the day. And we're focused on things that God rightfully put into our life, our children, our families. But when we come back in to his presence, maybe it's fellowship with him at nighttime before we go to sleep or in the morning when we do our devotions. That's when we find pasture. You know, the animals that feed, they're in a safe, corralled-in area, and they enjoy their pasture time because they're feeding and getting nutrients in the physical realm. We do the same thing in the presence of the Lord in the spiritual realm. The second point, the straight gate, that narrow gate, is not an easy gate to enter. It's not easy. When I was on a missions trip, with, again with Pastor Alley, this is probably 10 years ago, we went to Vietnam. And on one day we went sightseeing, and outside of Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, there's a place called the Kochi Tunnels. During the, the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong had a series of tunnels, and when the American GIs would come, they would hide in those tunnels, and they would open up a small trapdoor, and they were able to shoot the Americans. And slowly during the war, they were able to capture a lot of equipment, including they had a tank there that they had captured. Now when we went into that entryway, one of the men was dressed in the Viet Cong 
uniform, and he asked, there was probably 20 of us that wanted to go on the tour, he said, can any of you find the trapdoor? And we were all looking around, none of us could find it. And then he walked right into the middle of the room, and he moved some grass, he pulled the trapdoor up, they're very small men, the opening was not much bigger than this paper that I'm holding in my hand, and he just dropped through it, and as he fell down in one motion, he closed that trapdoor. And we couldn't find it. Jesus says, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Strive means to put diligence and effort into accomplishing something. If you look at the next line below, this is a, a definition of the word strive from a Bible dictionary. And the word means agonizomai. It's where we get our word agony, to agonize over something. Strive means to struggle, literally to compete for a prize, figuratively to contend with an adversary, in the genitive case to endeavor to accomplish something. It means to fight, to labor fervently. And Jesus is telling us in this verse, Luke 13, 24, strive to enter into the straight gate. Earnestly contend for that. And many people, they don't find the straight gate. They never find Jesus Christ during their life. And God says, you need to strive to enter in. Matthew 18, 8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for you to enter life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. This is a very drastic action. God is saying, if you are in a pattern of sin, and to show how dire it is to get out of that pattern of sin, he's saying, cut off your hand, cut off your foot. Take a drastic action in your life. Now, God doesn't want you literally to cut off your hand or your foot, but he's pointing out, that's the kind of drastic action you need in your life to be saved. And absent that kind of a drastic action, you will slip into hell. The question is asked, what do we need to do to go to hell? And the answer is nothing. Because we're all born under Adam's curse of sin. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, in order to go to hell, you don't have to do anything. You just keep on living in 2017 America, and you will find your way there. But in order to be saved, you have to approach the king. You have to repent. And you have to have a godly sorrow for the sins that you've done. And that's how you enter into the king. You have to be born again. That's how you enter into the kingdom. The third point today is entrance through the straight gate, that narrow gate, requires repentance of sins. Matthew 4, 16 and 17 says, The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the people that sat in darkness, this region is where Jesus lived. 
This is, region is where Jesus started his public ministry. He lived in he was born in Bethlehem and he grew up in Nazareth after his Mary and Joseph came back from Egypt when he was a child. At the age of 30, he started his public ministry. And here we see that to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. They were in darkness. They were in spiritual darkness in this region, just as most of the world is today. There are a few places in the world where there is a revival going on. But for the most part, we are in deep spiritual darkness. You think about what happened a week ago here in the United States in Las Vegas. That is deep spiritual darkness. And I haven't heard any commentators mention why was it in Las Vegas? You know, Las Vegas is known as Sin City. Perhaps God was judging. We don't know what makes God do the things he does because his ways are far above our ways. Things do tie together in life. What you sow, you will reap. And here Jesus is preaching and he says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know today the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And once you're born again, you enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's simply believing, having faith that Jesus died for your sins, and he offers this free gift of salvation. But it does require a godly sorrow for your sins. Acts 3.19 Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. So here in Acts, we're being taught that we need to repent in order to be converted. Converted means you become saved. And it says that your sins may be blotted out. Remember the old typewriters where you had the whiteout? And you make a mistake, you would scroll up the typewriter ribbon, and then you'd take and blot out with that white blotter, and then you'd scroll the paper back down and type again? That's kind of the image that I have in my mind when I read this verse. It says God will blot out those sins. And you know, they're not going to be remembered anymore. The Bible teaches us as far as the east is from the west, so far has it removed our transgressions from us. Isn't God good? We don't deserve that. And yet, that's how much he loves us. Let's look at the next point. On the next page, 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. This verse is teaching us that we need a godly sorrow in order to repent, and that godly sorrow comes from God. That's one of the keys to unlocking eternal life. You can say you're sorry, maybe because you got caught. You know, the old saying is that all the men in jail are innocent and none of them are sorry, except for the fact that they got caught. But occasionally, men will confess up and say, yes, I am here because I did the crime. And they're forthright about it. We have to have that same forthrightness in us in order to be saved. We can't play games with God because God knows everything. We can't fool God. We can't hide anything from God. And it also goes to say, not to be repented of. Do you know once you're truly saved, 
You can't turn around. Repent means to turn. You can't turn away from that salvation. You can't lose your salvation. There are so many verses in the Bible that teach us you can't lose your salvation. And this is one of them. Not to be repented of. Not to be turned away from. But look at how it ends. In, in a sad way. The sorrow of the world works death. The people out there that have not found the Lord, they are living in sorrow day by day. How can they know the joy of the Lord if they have no relationship? It's impossible. They cannot know the joy of the Lord. And ultimately, if they don't get saved, they will have the sorrow of death. And then eternal death in hell in the lake of fire. The next point, true Christians will suffer for Christ. If you're a true Christian, there will be pain and suffering in your life because of your Christian walk. Here in America, we have freedom of religion, so for the most part, Christians don't have much persecution. But when you travel to other countries, they're persecuted. In China, it's a communist country, which is, that means it's officially an atheistic country. They have persecution. In North Korea, Christians are being put to get to death on a daily basis. ISIS in the Middle East, Afghanistan, and those countries, Iraq, Iran, they are putting Christians to death. I read in the news last week, in, I think it was in Egypt, I forget the country exactly, but they put a notice to all Christians, if they went to church on Sunday, they would be murdered. Now that's a big question. Would you go to church knowing that you might be murdered? That's persecution. Christians will be persecuted. Let's look at a few verses. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount has what we call the Beatitudes. There are eight blessed are they. And these are several of them. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. If we suffer for the Lord's sake, whatever that might be, and for senior saints, the suffering could be staying up and praying for the lost souls in your family when you want to really sleep. Or perhaps fasting for a day when you really want to have something tasty to eat. It's a small way to suffer a persecution, but God says you will have a great reward in heaven for that. And what can we do that doesn't become minimal in the sight of Jesus going to the cross for us? What could we ever do to even start to repay that great debt that we owe the Lord? Mark 8.34 And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We have to deny ourselves if we're going to follow Jesus. And in America, there are many things that we need to deny. 
We are a nation built on pleasure. Fund our 401k, buy a big boat, buy a second home, take a trip to some faraway place to enjoy yourself. But God says deny yourself and take up your cross. A cross is very painful to bear. In Jesus' time, people that were on the cross, they died. And Jesus went to the cross, and he died. So when Jesus says to take up your cross, that is a very significant turn of phrase. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. 1 Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were you called. Here's the reason you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Jesus isn't saying here that we should go find a cross and somebody nail us to the cross. What he's saying is Jesus was the agape love manifested. Agape love is servant love. Agape love is something that you give to people and you expect nothing in return. And Jesus was the example of agape love. He gave it all, ultimately, on the cross. Everything he did in his three-plus years of public ministry was for people to be helped, people to be served. I don't ever remember reading in the scriptures where Jesus laughed. It says Jesus wept. And Jesus was angry. He had a righteous anger. But I don't ever remember even reading where he laughed. Now, certainly he had the joy because he had close fellowship with the Father every day until he went to the cross. Let's look at the next point. We must rely on God, not ourselves, to get into heaven. Most people, when you talk to them, and if you get to the point of asking them how they will go to heaven, by default, it seems most people say, well, I'm a good person. And we can always find somebody worse than us. This Las Vegas shooter, certainly he was an evil man. And if we're going to judge people, we could always lift him up as being worse than us. But that's not the standard. The standard to get into heaven is perfection. And the only way we can get perfection is through Jesus Christ's blood covering our sins. That's the only way we can be made righteous in the sight of God. So not self. Self cannot get us into heaven. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Most people think they are going to heaven because they are a good person. But this verse teaches us that that way will end in death. And that's eternal death. That's death in the hell and the lake of fire. Matthew 18.3 Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is significant about this? God says we have to become like little children. What is significant about children? Well, number one, they have simple faith. But also, little children need their parents to take care of them. A five-year-old has no idea how to pay a light bill, or how to open up a bank account, or how even to go buy groceries. Children need their adults. If you're saved, you need your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. Except you become as little children, 
you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Titus 3, 5 and 6. This verse teaches us not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We see, why did God go to the cross? Because of his great mercy. That's how he saves us. According to his mercy, he saved us. We didn't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to go to heaven. But God is great in mercy. And for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he made us alive. He quickened us together with Christ. And it says here at the end of this verse, which Jesus shed on us abundantly. You know, there's enough of Jesus' blood to cover all the sins of everybody who wants to be converted and saved through faith. It will never run out. There's enough. It's in abundance. Let's look at the next point. The way into heaven is a very narrow path. Isaiah 35, 8. And an highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. So this verse is teaching us that there is a way of holiness. If we go back to our text verse, where it says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, once you meet Jesus Christ, and once you repent, you have to stay on the narrow way. How many of you as little children, you went to a railroad track, and then you tried to walk along the train rail and see how far you could get before you fell off. I think all of us kids have done that, right? Well, think about that train rail as the narrow path. Now, we all fall off the train rail, and all of us fall off the path God has given us. However, he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and then guess what? We're right back on that rail. But that's a path we have to stay on all the way into heaven. We can't go 5 or 10 or 15 years and then abandon the rail. Get off the path and say, well, I served Jesus as a deacon 20 years ago. That doesn't work. The Bible calls that apostasy. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Once we're saved, we will always follow the Lord. If we get off that rail somewhere in our life and we never get back on, we weren't listening to the true word of God. We weren't listening to the true shepherd. Because he says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Again, you cannot lose your salvation. How many people think they came through the narrow gate? And think they are serving the Lord, but they're still on their way to hell. That's a very scary thought to think about. Because the world is full of those people that are living under the guile, guile being foolish thoughts, a lie. They're living a lifestyle under the guile of the deceit that they're doing good and they're really on, on their way to hell. 
Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This verse teaches us that if we're on the path, we're on the way to heaven, we need to have a pure heart. Now that doesn't mean you're going to have a pure heart and nothing enters in that defiles. We're all sinners. Every one of us sin every day. But what this is teaching us that as a lifestyle, we should try to seek holiness, as it says in Isaiah. And also here, blessed are the pure in heart. We should seek after a lifestyle of holiness. And holiness means we're fighting sin. Holiness, we have a good relationship with the Lord. Holiness means we talk to the Lord in prayer. Holiness means we're sharing our day with the Lord. Holiness means he's number one. Not television or the newspaper or alcohol or drugs or whatever the sin pattern might be. The Lord must be number one if we're going to have a holy lifestyle. Revelation 21, 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. This verse teaches us that nothing will get into heaven. There shall in no wise, no way, enter into heaven anything that defiles. Why would God let something that's spiritually dirty into heaven? Because remember, this is verse 21 of Revelation. God has already done away with the first heaven and the first earth. And this chapter starts out, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down from God. So at this point in the Bible, there's a new heaven and a new earth. God is not going to let anything that's sinful into the new heaven. That's why he has to destroy this first heaven. Because remember, Satan rebelled, and he took a third of the angels. And he sinned in heaven. God's going to clean house, get rid of this heaven, and have a new heaven and a new earth. And it says, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those are the only people that will go to heaven. The ones who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation 20, one chapter before this, and it says, and whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Question, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If you're born again, it's there. If you truly repented with a godly sorrow, it's there. If you're living a holy lifestyle and you're putting God first, it's there. You've entered through the straight gate and you're on the narrow way. And God's not going to let you get off until he brings you into heaven. Now you might fall off, but he's going to put you back on when you repent. And God is good. The last point for today, it's kind of the reality point, and it talks about hell. It says, many souls go to hell, but few enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is teaching us that most souls go to hell. And this is God's word. Matthew 20, 16. So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Many are called. Again, you see the juxtaposition here of many versus few. The last shall be first, 
The people who serve the Lord on the earth now, who are looked upon as being last in our society, in heaven, they will be first. Remember when one of the apostles' mom came to Jesus and asked Jesus, could he make her sons, you know, the top in heaven? And he said, no, the, whoever's the servant. First off, the father's going to decide that. It's not given unto Christ, is what he said. But he also said, whoever's servant here will be great in heaven. So we know we need to serve. But look at how this verse ends. Many will be called, but few chosen. The Bible says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Every person who's ever lived on the earth, from Adam and Eve all the way through 2017, and all the way into the future until the Lord comes back, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. There will be no one with an excuse at the judgment seat saying, Lord, you didn't share your grace with me. Many are called, but few chosen. Romans 9.27 Esaias also cried concerning Israel. Though the number of children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the sand of the sea is a lot of sand. It says a remnant shall be saved. Of a huge population of people, a remnant is a small portion. How many of you have ever made a dress out of material or a shirt? Miss Alice, you have. Okay. Well, when you get the pattern done, there's some left over, right? That's called the remnant. And usually there's not a whole lot you can do with the remnant. You make a quilt up. Yes, you, you would use 100% of it. Amen. Okay. You know what? That remnant in God's eyes, you know, in your example here, the pattern for the dress, those are the people who are not useful for the kingdom. But the remnant is what's useful for the kingdom. And here, this verse is saying, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And see, Isaiah was talking to the people of Israel. But this is the same picture. For now, it's the Jews and the Gentiles who the gospel has appeared to. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And that picture still applies. Many are called, but few are chosen. There's a huge pattern of people that walk the the world, but there's only a remnant that actually go through the state gate and then follow the narrow way. There's only a remnant, a small part. And then the last verse that we will look at today, Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. All of us, it's normal to fear for our safety. If I were at that concert in Las Vegas and there was bullets raining down on me, I would be afraid for my life. I don't want to die. But God is saying here, don't fear that man shooting from the window, but fear God. Because that man shooting from the window, he only can kill the body. God is the one who controls the soul. But fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
At the resurrection day, all the bodies are going to come out of the graves or out of the sea. Or if they were burned up, out of the fire. God will bring all the bodies out of the dust. And he's going to take the souls and put them back into the body. And the souls that are coming out of hell, representing the people who did not receive Jesus, their soul is going to go into that dead body that's going to stand before God at the great white throne. And it says, he will destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, we don't have to fear that today if we're saved. We don't have to go to hell if we're saved when we die. And all of us, our bones are waxing old every day. And every day we're one day closer to meeting the Lord. But we don't have to fear that day. Really, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? For the Christian, there is none for death or the grave if we're a Christian. Because we can call upon the Lord. Today, if you're not saved, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he went to the cross? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that your sins will result in your death? Those are all true, even if we don't believe them. Many people out there, they don't think there's a hell. There is a hell. God spoke of it many, many, many times. In fact, that's why we call Jesus Savior. We need a Savior to save us from hell. These two verses that we read today, let me repeat them again. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That leads to hell. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life. And few and few there be that find it. Jesus is the straight gate and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can always come to Jesus. He will in no wise cast you out. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is a good God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I was contemplating the other day, and I had never thought about this before. When Jesus was on the cross... He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had never been without the Father's fellowship all the way into eternity, forever. He had never been without the Father. And we always focus on, on Jesus, rightfully so. That was his passion that he had to go through for us to inherit the kingdom. But think about the Father. Think about the turmoil and the sorrow the father was going through. That he turned his back on his only begotten son. Who had never done anything wrong. Think of the sorrow that he was going through. How many of us in our lifetime have had a strained relationship? Maybe with a child, with a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, an employer, an employee. 
It's a burden on us, isn't it? Now think the burden that Jesus and the Father carried for us when he went to the cross. He loves us. He loves us so much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's awesome. And it teaches us all about you. And what you want us to know about you in the spirit world, you're telling us in the word of God. And Lord, I want to know you more. And I know the people in this room, they want to know you more. We love you, Jesus. God bless us this week. We thank you for everything you do for us. We love you, God. Amen.